Easter, everyone? Happy Easter. Yeah, now it sounds like Easter. Very good. Very, very good. I want to tell you, uh, or begin this morning by telling you uh, a little bit about one of my favorite actors. It sounds kind of strange for Easter, but you'll, you'll see where I'm going in just a moment. David Suchet is a well-known English actor. He is most famous for playing the role of inspiration inspector or detective Hercule Poirot, an Agatha Christie uh, invention, and he has been acting in that role for 25 years. Now, I, because I was interested in knowing more about him, I, I looked it up and discovered that, that he became a Christian in 1986. He, uh, he surrendered his life to Christ, and this really intrigued me. I wanted to know more about that. I discovered that David Suchet is of Jewish heritage and basically raised without religion. And so uh, he came to this place in his life where he said, you know, I, uh, there's got to be something more. And so he, he says, searching for something, something new, something different, his whole life through, he came to this place of surrender to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But Suchet underwent a, a religious conversion that led him to the place where he was baptized, became a member of the Church of England. Then in 2012, Suchet was invited to do a two-part documentary on his hero. And that hero is none other than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is responsible for writing about half of the New Testament. So in an interview, Suchet said this. He says, I'm a Christian by faith. I like to think it sees me through a great deal of my life. I very much believe in the principles of Christianity that one has to abandon oneself to a higher good. Now the question this morning is this. How did he get to that place where he put his faith in Jesus Christ? How did he start believing in Christ? And why is the Apostle Paul his hero? He goes on to say this. I always felt that my grandfather was with me as my spiritual guide. I felt him sitting on my shoulder. Then I thought to myself, why do I believe that? Why do I believe that and not believe in life after death? Now, before I go any further, he believed that his grandfather was sitting on his shoulder before he became a Christian. So I don't want anybody going from this place thinking that your grandpa or your grandma is on your shoulder. It's just not true. So here he is being confronted with a supernatural reality. How could he believe that, but yet not believe in life after death? Then he says, it got me thinking about the most famous person who they say had a life after death experience. And that person was Jesus Christ. And so he says, it was the writings of the Apostle Paul that made the difference. While in his hotel room one night, he pulled out his... Uh, Gideon Bible, there's always a Bible in the, the bedside table, or often is, and he began to read in the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. He gets into his bathtub and begins to read this book called Romans. He says, I was reading about a way of being and a way of life that I had been looking for all these years. And then he says, after reading Romans chapter 8, he was convinced that God loved him and that God was on his side. Romans chapter 8. For those of you who are visiting today, we are just completing a series of messages from Romans chapter 8. 
For David Suchet, it was life-changing. It was a thing that led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to these words, and maybe you'll understand why these words led him to Christ. And here's what it says, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love, Paul asks? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? How many of us have wondered if God has rejected us or left us in that moment when we experienced difficulty. No, Paul says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are the words that caused this famous British actor to finally say, I found what I've been looking for, in the words of you two. He found what he was looking for. He discovered a God who loves him. He discovered a God who is on his side. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the love that God has for you. And my prayer is that when you leave here today, you will understand how much God truly loves you and cares about you. I know that some of you have come to church this morning and you're not too sure about this God thing. Maybe you're here today and you're just, you know, you're dragged here. Your wife said, you know, it's Easter, you got to go to church. And so here you are in church. My brother dragged his son to church this morning, and I think he texted the whole way through. So just so you know, I can see you. <laughs> you're here, and you're thinking, man, what is this really all about? Well, this, here, here's, what I, here's what I want you to know. And I, I, I pray, I hope that you begin to understand that you're not going through this life alone, that somebody cares about you, and that somebody has heard your prayer, and his name is God. Just a couple of days ago, we celebrated Good Friday, and it's a day where we remember Jesus being condemned to death and the reasons why he was condemned to death. It was a terrible day. It began with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what his mission on this earth was really all about, he knew what was ahead, and there he was in the garden, prepared for what was to come. He knew he was going to die. That's why Jesus came to this earth. He came here to die. Now, we celebrate Christmas, and we're glad to celebrate it, but 
That's just the beginning of the story about Christ. Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that death is ahead, and here's what Jesus prays. He says, God, if it's possible, if it's possible for me to not go through this, please take this away. And you know the story. He finally says, God, not my will, but yours be done. And then what follows is truly the most horrific experience any human has ever had to experience. Soldiers arrive, led by none other than one of his very own friends. His friend and companion for three years, his disciple, whose name was Judas. Judas led the soldiers to Jesus, and he said, I will show you who Jesus is by kissing him, and then you'll know. And Judas, as a friend, comes up to Jesus, kisses him on the cheek, and the soldiers then know who Jesus is. And they take him away. They take him before the authorities. Now, there are no charges against him because he's innocent, but how many know? It's so often... So often, those in power are also crooked. Herod, the king, Pilate, the governor from Rome, they find Jesus guilty. And they take Jesus aside, they beat him, they whip him, they mock him, they humiliate him, they spit upon him, and they condemn him to death. But he's done no wrong. He doesn't deserve to die. And he certainly doesn't deserve to die on a cross. Mocked, humiliated, whipped, stripped of his dignity. Yes, stripped bare. Not the polite pictures that we have created through the course of history, but bare naked, as criminals were. And Jesus was taken to the cross, the place of crucifixion, and he was spiked to that cross, his hands, his feet, and then a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And they mocked him, and they called him the king of the Jews. And if that were not enough, those who were closest to him, his 12 disciples, the ones who had been with him for three years, the ones who watched him raise the dead, the ones that watched him heal the sick and feed the multitudes, the ones who watched him and listened to him preach, the gospel, the good news, the truth. They deserted him. They ran from him. And then there was Peter who said, Jesus, I'll never let you down. These guys, they're a bunch of losers, but I'm not going to let you down, Jesus. You can depend on me. You might not be able to depend on the others, but you can depend on me. And Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, you will deny me three times when you hear the rooster crow. And sure enough, little girl in the courtyard nearby where Jesus is being beaten and whipped, looks at Peter and says, hey, aren't you the one of the guys that was following Jesus? And Peter says, no way. And not content with that answer, she keeps at him until finally he swears at her. He says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't know him. And the rooster crows, and Peter knows that he is let his master down. 
And not just Peter knew it, but Jesus himself would have heard that rooster crow. And Peter, the one who said, I'll never let you down, Jesus knew that he let him down. It was a terrible day for Jesus. But you know what? It was a terrible day for the disciples too. Remember, they had been following Jesus and they were convinced that Jesus was going to be the king of Israel, that Jesus was going to begin a brand new kingdom and drive the Romans out. He would be their king. But they didn't understand that Jesus had another plan. And it was not a plan to rule on earth, but it was a plan to rule in people's hearts. It was a terrible day for the disciples, especially Peter, who really, his heart was in the right place. He really meant well. He really did want to, to stand with Jesus. But he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Imagine the regret. Imagine the sense of failure and even the sense of self-hatred. Imagine how Peter would have felt. Imagine how the other disciples would have felt. I'm going to tell you this this morning. Good Friday is a snapshot of what life is like for so many of us, for all of us. It's all about condemnation, all about judgment, all about failure and about weakness. Folks, I want you to know that this world, the spirit of this world, the spirit of this culture is all about condemnation. It's the mood of this world. And we hear in our head Satan's voice condemning us and judging us and saying, you'll never amount to anything. You'll, you'll, you'll never overcome that problem that you have, that addiction. You'll never overcome it. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. You'll, you're a terrible husband. You're a terrible wife. You'll, you'll never be good at it. You may as well just give up. You'll, you're a horrible parent. You let your kids down. You'll, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never survive. And in our hearts, we feel, yeah, we really have let our loved ones down. We have let God down. We've let ourselves down. You know what I'm talking about. So if it's not the voice of Satan himself condemning us and judging us in our minds, we judge ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We look at the, in the mirror in the morning, and we hate what's looking back at us. That's what the mood, the spirit of this world is. It's full of condemnation. It's what we know best. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're often guilty of judging and condemning others, aren't we? It's life on this earth. We imagine that other people are condemning us and judging us and talking about us behind our back. You know what I'm saying? How many times have you been upset because you're sure someone's talking about you behind your back? You're sure that someone is condemning you. And worst of all, folks, worst of all is that you imagine that God is condemning you himself. You imagine that God is angry at you, that God hates you, that God's not approving of you. I'm not condemning. <laughs> I'm loving. Bye. <laughs> we imagine that we let God down. We imagine we've let our family down, and probably maybe we have. You failed in your marriage, you failed with your kids, you failed at life, you failed in your job, and you feel this heavy weight of condemnation. I'm going to tell you the reason why this is what we experience, this is what we feel. I'll tell you why. It's because the Bible says that the prince of this world, the prince of the air, is Satan. 
And if you know what the Bible says, you know this about the devil, the, the, uh, Satan. You know that he is under judgment. He is condemned. And we read about it in Revelation chapter 20 where it says that this, this being, Satan, is under judgment. He is destined to condemnation and, and, and annihilation. So here's, here's what all of us in this room, there's nobody here exempt, not even myself, all of us experience the effects of this condemnation in this life. All of us do. In fact, I would say this, that so often the, the, the sessions of counseling that I, that I deal with are along those lines. Someone feels condemned, someone feels judged, someone feels God can't love them, that God can't accept them, that God has rejected them. But you need to know this today. Easter is all about the, an end to condemnation. Look what it says here in Romans 8, verse 34. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Folks, that's what Easter is all about. It's all about God coming to a people who are under condemnation and judgment and feel that they have failed and failed God and failed the people in their life. And Jesus comes along. And look at this. Jesus doesn't condemn. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to love. Some of you may have seen this scripture verse at a hockey game. How many have heard of John 3.16? A lot of people have seen it there, but they have no idea what it means. Let me tell you what it means. It means, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. So here's what you and I need to know today. God did not come to condemn you. He did not come to judge you. He loves you. He cares about you. In fact, he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die and take away your sin. Take away the punishment that you and I deserve. Thank God our faith doesn't stop at Good Friday. Thank God it's all about Easter Sunday. So here's what else we read in Romans chapter 8? Look at this. And this is, what, this is what touched David Suchet's life so that he surrendered his life to Christ. Look at this. Verse 37, 38. He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. So here's what you and I need to know today. For those who have put their faith in the risen Lord, they're no longer under condemnation. Can I say that again? When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're no longer under condemnation. In fact, now the Bible says that you have overwhelming victory, that victory is yours, not condemnation. In fact, there is a new word to describe the mood of this new life, and it is victorious. Now, I want to tell you something. This is something that was really hard for me to understand. When I first started in the ministry... You know, I, I read all about the prophets and all, the, all the, the gloom and the doom of the prophets in the Old Testament. 
And I thought that maybe my job as a pastor was to preach gloom and doom. And, and I can remember with great embarrassment some of the very first sermons I ever preached. Waving my finger and screaming and yelling, if you turn or burn, if you don't give your heart to Jesus, you're going to hell. And on and on. There's this real nasty, nasty kind of Christianity. Jesus didn't come to condemn. In fact, Paul says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And Paul goes on to say this, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? How many of us here today think that God is angry at us or doesn't like us or that he's condemning us when things don't go right? I need to remind everybody today that we're not in heaven yet. We're still living on this earth that the Bible tells us is under the control and the power and the influence of Satan himself. What you need to know is that regardless of what happens on planet earth, God still loves you. In fact, nothing could separate you from God's love. No. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing could ever separate us from God's love. After his resurrection, Jesus meets up with his disciples. Now remember, the disciples have forsaken him. They, they scattered like rats running from a sinking ship. Peter denies him three times. And here's what happens. Jesus sees his disciples, and what do you think he says? He, he doesn't say you useless, good-for-nothing losers. I picked the wrong three guys, I wrong 12 guys for three years. Didn't say that. He doesn't beat up on his disciples. He doesn't condemn them or judge them or call them names or tell them they're stupid or they're useless. Although he could have. He doesn't. And even Thomas, one of his disciples who sees Jesus after the resurrection... Jesus is standing in front of him, and Thomas doesn't believe. And Jesus says, look, it's me, Thomas. Put your, hands, put your hand in the, in the hole in my hand. Put your finger in my side. See for yourself. It's me. But he doesn't condemn. Doesn't condemn. See, for so many people, they have this wrong understanding of who God is. They think that God is some kind of a nasty judge in the sky that's ready to club us every time we make a mistake or get it wrong. But you need to know today that there is no condemnation, only love. God loves you. Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He sees Peter, who's denied him three times. What does he do? He says, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter is feeling really, really bad. I mean, he's condemning himself. Satan is whispering in his head, you're a loser. You'll never be a good follower of Christ. You should give up. He's condemning himself. I'm sure the other disciples are laughing at him, maybe calling him names. I don't know. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And and Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And a second time, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? 
Now, Peter's feeling really badly. Jesus is not condemning him. But what Jesus is doing is he's restoring Peter. And all the denial that Peter had before the resurrection. I don't know who he is. No, I don't know who he is. No, I don't know who he is. Now Peter is able to reverse that. Because Jesus, in his kind, forgiving, and loving way, gives Peter a chance to be restored. And I want you to know something today. That's exactly what Jesus is doing for every one of us. You failed him. He doesn't come condemning. He comes restoring you. He comes forgiving you. And he says to Peter, after the third time, he says, feed my sheep. Go and do the work that I've called you to do. I don't condemn you. But I'm restoring you to that place where you need to be. That place of doing my will. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It takes a lifetime to understand how much God loves you. I've been serving God for 44 years. Gave my heart to Christ when I was just eight years old. I'm going to tell you this. After 44 years, I still don't get how great and how powerful and how marvelous is God's love. Some of you sitting here today, you think God can't love me. I've made too many mistakes. I've failed too much. I've, made, I've sinned too much. I've fallen short too many times. I have messed it up too much, Pastor Allen. There's hope for others, but there's no hope for me. I'm going to tell you right now. God's love for you knows no boundaries. God's love for you is infinite. There is nobody here today who has failed God too much so that God can't love him. God does not condemn. Look what Paul says in verse 38. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither fears for today or worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, listen, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God except one thing, and that's you. Over the years as a pastor, I've been asked on a regular basis, I get asked, what is the unpardonable sin? What is the sin that God cannot forgive? I'm going to tell you what it is now. What is that sin that God can't forgive? I'll tell you. It's rejecting his love for you. That's the only sin that God can't forgive. And that's because it's your choice. It's your choice to reject God's love for you. This is the unpardonable sin. I'm the only one who can separate myself from his love. Do you know, Easter is a time of celebrating what Jesus has done for us. If we look deep into our hearts, we recognize that every one of us here today, myself included, has fallen short. We have not measured up. We have not been the kind of people that we need to be. There's so much imperfection and so much sin in our hearts. Most of us don't even know that. 
But here's a wonderful thing. So God does not come condemning. He comes loving. And you know what he does? He says, rather than you die, I will send my own son to die in your place. My friends, that is the gospel, and that is what Christianity is all about. It's all about Jesus Christ dying for your sins and for mine. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Now, I want to say this to you right now. There is a day of judgment coming. But I'm going to tell you that until that day of judgment, there's nothing but God's love for you and that constant reaching out to you by his spirit. I first discovered the magnitude of God's love, and I'm going to close with this. When I was about 14 years old, I read a book written by Pastor Barber, who's 90 years old now, used to pastor Calvary Temple downtown. He wrote a book about one of the ladies in his congregation. It's called Murder Most Foul, Forgiveness Most Gracious. It's about a woman whose husband died, and she had three children. There was a young man that was especially interested in her and hoped that she would become his wife. And he kept making advances, and she kept turning him down. He kept trying to win her heart, but she wasn't interested. It's not where she wanted to go. It's not what she wanted to do. And after repeated efforts, she kept saying no until one day he got angry. And he thought he would really, really hurt her, really injure her. And so while she was at work, he came into the house where he knew the kids would be. And he murdered her three children, left them for dead, sprawled across her bed. When she came home from work, this is what she came home to. This is what she found. She found her children dead. She called the police. The police quickly, almost, with almost no trouble at all, discovered who the murderer was. He was tried and then sentenced. He would die by hanging. This woman, who I personally knew was a friend of my grandmother's, this woman, strong Christian, strong faith in God, she could have thought, God, where are you? I wondered if she was familiar with this passage of Scripture. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I wonder if that went through her head. She could have been angry. She could have been bitter. She could have felt that God had rejected her. But in that dark, dark hour, the love of God broke through and she realized that there's more to this life, more to this world than the breath we breathe here now. And so she asked God to give her strength and she went to the prison where this man, this former suitor, was waiting. And he said to her, would you forgive me? And she said, that's why I've come. I've come to offer you forgiveness. And there in his prison cell, he discovered a God who did not condemn him, but who forgave him for his sin.
And that day he gave his life to Christ. Did he ask for his sentence to be changed? No, he knew he deserved death. But what he also knew is that this world, this world is not the end. He knew that all the shame and all the sorrow and all the pain that he had caused and felt in his own heart would be washed away by Jesus Christ. And he was hanged. And someday, folks, because of the forgiveness that was brought through Jesus Christ, he will be in heaven. Now, for some of you, that is shocking, and you think to yourself, how could a loving God allow someone like that into heaven? I'll tell you how. For the same reason he's going to allow you into heaven if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not God's will that any should perish. That's what the Bible says. But that all would come to repentance. All would come to that place and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I can promise you this, that if you'll do that, Jesus will forgive you. And you will become part of God's great family. And you will have the confidence and the assurance in eternal life. And on that judgment day, when, you, when we will all stand before God, here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to stand between you and God, and he's going to show the Father his hands and his feet and his side. And rather than God seeing the sinful you, he's going to see his own son, Jesus Christ. He's going to see that Jesus took your punishment upon himself. That, my friends, is what Easter's about. It's about God's incredible love. It's about a love that overcomes the condemnation that you have felt in your life, your whole life through. I'm going to say this to you. You will experience condemnation, but it's in those moments of condemnation you need to run to a God who loves you and cares about you and who forgives who sets you free from the power of sin. I'm going to show a video to you right now.